Hi, and welcome back to the Beauty of Conflict podcast. We know you're busy, and we want to make it easy for you to understand how conflict may likely be showing up in a way that's impacting your team negatively. We've recorded the first three chapters of our book for you to listen to for free. Get your free audio sample at thriveinc.com forward slash free sample. That's T-H-R-I-V-E-I-N-C.com forward slash F-R-E-E-S-A-M-P-L-E. Hi, I'm Susan. And I'm Chris Marie. And today on the Beauty of Conflict podcast, I'm going to be talking to Chris Marie Campbell, the Chris Campbell. That's was I, I go by Chris Marie now, but when I was a rower at the University of Washington, I was Chris Campbell. <laughs> so you're getting a little uh, teaser for what today is going to be about, because just recently, Chris Marie was invited and talked to the University of Washington rowers. And this was a, something she was teed up to do two years ago. They have what's referred to as the Varsity Boat Club. And when rowers have completed their first year, they get inducted into the Varsity Boat Club. And normally there's a big event that happens each year. And it it hasn't happened the last two years because of COVID. So this particular invite involved the both freshmen and sophomores who were getting inducted. And there was a little bit of limited space in the sense that not all of the alumni could come. So a lot of Chris Marie's classmates and people she knew over the years were not there. And this made it kind of interesting. (laughs) Well, one thing I got to come, I don't always get to come. So I had the privilege of being her significant plus one for the event. And I wanted to do this interview because one, I just thought, It was super cool to see Chris Marie get up there and give a talk. And in some respects, his talk was about resilience and and how these freshmen and sophomores could really get the most out of their rowing. But it was also a talk where I think you were, and you said this later, talking to yourself, having a chance to sort of give yourself a talk. My younger self. Your younger self. And you used that to actually prep for this talk. I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, it was a neat opportunity. I've had so much healing and growth since I was 19, 20, or 21. And I just thought, gosh, this is what I needed to hear back then. (laughs) Even though I had a lot of success, there was a lot of cost to my process in rowing, which you'll hear about if I go into those stories. Yes. So we thought it would be fun as a a way of giving you, you're obviously not rowers, but the talk I think is still relevant to each of us. I know I found it relevant and I was sitting there in the audience, not as a rower, but just as a person who sometimes can get a little out of whack <laughs> and could use some support and how to get my, keep myself balanced. Well, what was interesting is when I, like a week before the talk, I talked to the two coaches to see, you know, what are the issues that they're struggling with? And a lot of stress due to like COVID, social justice issues, COVID got better, then COVID came back with a vengeance. And that really really hit the University of Washington rowing program when it came back, the um, Omicron virus. It was really bad. And so just like them, just like us, these last two years have created a lot of uncertainty. And that uncertainty creates a level of stress in our system. And there's also, because of the social justice issues, one of the one of the pieces like that they're dealing with, that a lot of businesses are dealing with, is how do we create belonging, a sense of inclusion, And so I thought, I'm going to talk about those two pieces because I think they're interrelated. You mean exclusion, inclusion, exclusion, and stress? Yeah, because (laughs) when, uh, when I don't feel like I belong, it actually registers in my brain, it registers in everybody's brain as physical pain. The same center is fired. 
And that creates stress Mm -hmm. if I feel excluded. And when I'm stressed, the last thing I'm doing is thinking of you. I am like, what about me? I've got to survive. And so they, they kind of reinforce, stress reinforces exclusion if you're not aware of it and working with it. That's fascinating. So, and I know in your talk, and I thought this was great, you invited them to think about a time when they had felt some form of exclusion. And so maybe here, why don't you talk about something you, you know, how, when when did you first? Well, I will even do that for you listeners out there. First, uh, think of a time that you felt excluded. It could have been just a slight, or it could be somebody was really mean, actively discriminating and just locate us an experience like that. And notice how you felt. And then notice how you behaved. Remember how you behaved. And then you can let go of all that. (laughs) And then think of... wants to stay in the No, nobody does. (laughs) True. Then think of a time that you, uh, where you were a part of a group where you felt included. People appreciated you. They brought you along. They wanted to know how you were. And remember how that made you feel. And then also how that you wound up behaving because of that. So I think it's really key that exclusion, there's scientific proof that when we feel excluded, we perform poorly, we withdraw, we turn negative, we disengage. Those are just some of the things that happen when we feel excluded. When we feel included, we perform well, we take accountability for making things happen. Mm -hmm. We support others, we collaborate and that's true equally in sport as it is in business, as it is in any sort of community group. When like it has a bottom line impact, belonging really helps the bottom line when people feel like they belong. So tell me a little bit about an experience you had around exclusion. Yeah. So I was uh, an army brat growing up. And so we moved and I was the youngest by like my sister was seven years older. My brother was 10 years older, 11 years older. And anytime we'd move around, when we moved onto an army base, oh my gosh, it was just like utopia. A little kid would come up while we were moving in and say, hey, my name's Tommy. You want to play kick the can or tag or whatever? And I was in, I was in the group (laughs) and I felt so like that's how army bases are. They just automatically include. And I hit a perfect storm when I was six. So that's kind of a tender age. We were in Hawaii. My dad, we were on the army base, but my dad got stationed in Vietnam So we had to move off post. My mom went back to college. My older siblings, of course, wanted nothing to do with me. And we moved into this all Japanese speaking neighborhood and the kids didn't want to play with me. And I started first grade at a Catholic school that was all Hawaiian. I was the Howley, the white girl. And I would come home crying. Why are my feet so white? I hate being white. And like constantly... And it really gave me those two years in first and second grade really gave me empathy for people who have lived their entire lives excluded based on the color of their skin or how they show up. And it really honed that, drove that home that we really need to (laughs) include people no matter what they look like. Yes. And and, I mean, that's a great description of what happened when you were younger and it and what happened when you came to the University of Washington? That, you know, <laughs> Well, that is, I was coming into a university of like, I don't know, probably 20,000 people. And that felt quite overwhelming, you know, in a sea of people. And then I went down to the Shell House and there were 110 women. I was a walk-on and these women were taller than me. I'm short, five, six, which is short for a rower. They were athletic. They, you know, many of them were rowers or sporty people. I'd played the flute in high school. Sporty people. <laughs> 
<laughs> Athletes, I should say. I was a musician. <laughs> and it was too competitive. <laughs> but I, but you know what? Quite quickly, I found my peeps in that big sea of people. And they were the ones that were not in shape like me. We were in the remedial group. And it was a big deal that the head coach said, you know, go run around the soccer field once because that was where we started. And that was a lot to do to get in shape. But, you know, I, I quickly found my groove and I, I belonged. I made friends. So it made the pie smaller and I could connect. And I got in shape and I learned how to row and I started to create great results. I made the freshman boat and back then it was pack tens and we won pack tens. When I was a sophomore, I made, I was one, two, two sophomores, me and another gal, Christy made the varsity eight and we won nationals, which was awesome on our home court in Green Lake. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the next year they expanded the race. It was twice as long (laughs) and I made the varsity eight. And I also started stroking it, which is the lead position who sets the rhythm, the person who sets the rhythm. And I was voted team captain and we went to nationals and won nationals again. And so life was good. I, I was in, we were winning. But what started to happen in my senior year is we had five of our varsity eight graduate the year before. So we had a big hole and we had this, you know, two-time national champions. We were, you know, a lot of pressure to keep performing. And I really took that mantle on like, oh my gosh, I've got to make sure we win. And I started to get very like, oh my, I got to control. I got to, I was controlling of myself and other people, took responsibility, tried to be so perfect and please the coach. And I was so stressed out. And you can, you can see how stressed out rowers will know this, but uh, we have two hands on the oar and my inside hand, I'm a port, so it's my right hand. My grip was so tight on the oar that my shoulder was up by my ears. And you can see this in photographs. It's mm. horrible rowing, <laughs> more <laughs> rowing posture. And, you know, it made me, we were in preparation for this, Susan. We were watching, you know, Bagger Vance. And there's a great quote, which is a movie about golf. And Matt Damon is a golfer. Will Smith is this mystical creature. And he comes forward and Will Smith says to the, Matt has lost his swing. And he's watching him play golf and he's horrible in this moment. And he goes, a man's grip on his club is like his grip on his life. And that was me. My grip on my oar was so tight and I was so tight. And it's like I had a big critic, a bully in my head beating me up. You know, it's funny. I know that you put that pressure on yourself because you were stroke captain, you had to win, you know, oh, the, 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 the level of pressure. As you were talking about your own experience of, you know, having tight grip on that oar and your shoulder up, I couldn't help but be reminded sometime of my ski form, which, <laughs> you know, if I were to see a video of me skiing, often I'm like crouched over or I'm off center. It, I, it does not look natural. <laughs> now, it's not the same form of stress, but it is a form of stress because I can sometimes create, a, a really learn that when I'm afraid, that too registers a stress in the body or I'm not good, in, you know, more yeah. than fear. Of, and, and I really can see the difference when I'm all tensed up, you know, whether it's skiing, whether it's in a sport, whether, you know, whatever it is. Susan, I think you can apply this to everything. In the, and I really appreciate that. And it's, there's an optimal, you do need some stress to like yeah. focus and make sure you're paying attention and engage, but there's this overstress. Mm-hmm. And it's really when we're, um, our brain is firing in a fight flight mechanism. 
it, our IQ drops. Mm. We're just not as in that prime peak performance. It really gets, we're, it's like static in the system. It's not helping. And I do think we tend to have some belief that, you know, because a certain amount of stress is needed, it's like we have kind of overridden that just a little bit and mm -hmm. pushed it and then add something like COVID, a universal thing or social justice issue, stuff that's going on around the world. And all of a sudden that it's not just the stress you put on to amp you up. You've got this global stress that is being experienced as well. And it's just too much. Yeah. And, and even yeah. now we've got the Ukrainian crisis and people are stressed about that. Yeah. And I, I think it's what I was doing was trying way too hard. So there's trying hard, but then there's too hard. Yes. And it, it even came in if I fast forward during uh, my Olympic year. So that was my senior year. And then two years later, I'd made the national team. We'd won the silver medal. And then I was training for the Olympics. And I was in a good position. We had won the silver medal. It looked like all indications looked like, hey, he's thinking of me for the stroke of the Olympic Games. I was psyched. But a good friend of mine was also a port and stroking the other boat over there. And I was thinking, mm, okay, you know, that was happening. And then we, we had one practice. It was a tough practice in March. And he decided to cut the squad. And he read off the names of the people that were staying. And I'll just call her Tammy as my good friend. And Tammy's name wasn't on the list. And I hate to admit it, but in that moment, I was like, yes. Like I'm clearing the path. I can, you know, I'm going to get that stroke seat, maybe, but a, a higher probability. And then I looked over at her mm -hmm. and of course she was devastated. And I felt so much shame and mm -hmm. guilt. And I tried, of course, catch up to her and talk to her. She wanted nothing to do with me. In fact, she, she almost never talked to me again. It was, it was a really devastating time. And I lived with that shame and, oh my gosh, what am I doing? How could I have been happy for her demise? You know, it was just horrible. But I didn't know how to deal with those feelings. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to really deal with any feelings back then. Well, and, and you, you know, that is such a ripe one that when you, you get something and you, and it is presented at the cost of somebody else not getting it. And you have that moment where you're excited. It's like, you know, when you, you know, get your SAT scores back. You're like thrilled that they're great. Maybe the person sitting next to you they did not get this. I was the person sitting next to you. I did not get the great SAT scores. I didn't either, but I made that one up because I do think it's one that, you know, does come up like, or something happens. Yes. Suddenly you're comparing, Yes, uh, you know. And you feel good, but then all of a sudden guilt. And that came up even in my family dynamic with my sister. You know, if I, if I got something and she didn't, you know, so there's, it was it was a family meme and it was being played out here. And I did, you know, I was so uncomfortable with how I felt after she got cut that I thought, okay, I don't know how to deal with what I feel, but I know how to work out harder. So there was this guy, he was a he was a rolfer on the team, like a massage therapist, and he was also a power lifter. And I'm like, oh, can you teach me how to power lift? Now, I did not ask the coach. This was not a good idea. It was not sanctioned. Sometimes it's not better to just get stronger. No. no. <laughs> I, I mean, that was a natural gift I had. I don't know why I thought about it, but it was like something I could do yeah. to deal with how I felt. Well, three weeks later, I don't know what did it, the powerlifting or the rowing or the guilt, but I hurt my back. And we had to go to the doctor, was off the water. And I thought, okay, for a week, that's not bad. But a week turned into a month. And... Then a month turned into two months. And by the way, springtime is when everybody's racing, 
getting faster and faster in rowing. And I had quit my job to train full-time for the Olympic team. And I basically lived alone. And I felt, then I felt the shame of, oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed. I can't row. I don't want anybody to know this. And so I just stayed away from people. And I started to see my Olympic dreams slipping away. And I just plummeted into a depth of despair and didn't know what to do and didn't want to, just didn't want to be here anymore. And I really did have suicidal thoughts because I thought, who am I without rowing? This is, this is my life. And if I can't do this, there's nothing else. Mm. And I was going to Mm. PT. So I went to PT that day and I'll just call her Mary, my physical therapist. I walked in and the athletic trainer and she's like, whoa, what's up? We're doing, Chris, we're doing a lot to fix your body, but you've got to fix whatever's going on in that head. Otherwise, none of this is going to make any difference. And I just burst out in tears Mm -hmm. and started to sob and blubber and talk. And she handed me a Kleenex. And, you know, I don't remember anybody asking me how I was doing. Mm Now, granted, I was staying away from people. Even if somebody had asked me, I probably wouldn't have heard it. No, I don't think so. But I did hear Mary and I let it in. And I probably sobbed, I don't know, five minutes or it wasn't like forever. You know, sometimes you're afraid. It wasn't a whole PT appointment. (laughs) But but sometimes you think, oh, I don't want to start crying because I'm not going to be able to stop. I have a doctor friend of mine who says no one has ever died from crying. Forever, you know? So I hold that as, yeah, know, let it go. Right. You know? And it, you know what? I think um, that ability to cry and feel through that, it kind of cleared, cleared that energy. And mm. at the, you know, after that, she said, you know, I don't know if this is going to help, but why don't you take this? And she handed me a copy, a book called The Mental Athlete, which had just been published like a year before. And it was, it's a book about how to visualize your sport when you're injured, that our brain doesn't really know if it's real or imagined. It still goes through that neurological signals process. And I I think because I had cried and felt, I was able to take that and start using. I read it all that night and I woke up the next morning and thought, okay, one, I've got to figure out how to get out of this pit of despair, not get sucked down. So I started thinking of positive memories where I did feel connected. What's ironic is they were uh, con- I was connected with people. I felt a sense of belonging in these positive memories. Inclusion. So, yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> and I don't know if I use ir- ir- irony there correctly, but <laughs> but it was um, the connection was so powerful. Mm-hmm. And then I'd I'd make sure I was feeling good, and then I'd lay down and I'd made this recording of the rowing stroke, and I'd listen to myself and just how that felt—the oar going in the water, the explosion of the legs, the swinging open the smooth uh, release and then gliding up to the catch over and moving (laughs) here as we're sitting here in our podcast studio. I am. Very cool. And her shoulders down. (laughs) Not under stress right now. So I just listened to that and wanted, uh, gave me something to do, but I started to feel better. I was buoyed. I was supporting my brain. I I mean, different 
different storyline, but I do remember using visualization even when I was doing my cancer mm-hmm. treatments. And, and the whole idea was to visualize the cancer in the way, you know, the, the, the treatment doing what it needed to do in my body. And, you know, the idea, like I think of the thing that strikes me about what happened for you with that book too, was it gave you something to do. Yes. Because I remember feeling like, you know, there, you know, there's nothing you can do getting treatments, really not that yeah. much. And it helped to be able to visualize. And there were certain foods that were better for me. to. And when I had the chance to cook something that gave me something to do, it was like, oh yeah. So that really yeah, makes a difference. It does. Going from two-a-day practices to PT in the pool and no other social contact. Yes. So yeah, so I go, okay, I'm going to make my audio recording. I'm going to go through these positive memories. I'm going to lay down and I'm going to feel my body. Absolutely. And without, without really any agenda, it's just like, okay, I have a way to engage in life. Exactly. You know? um, so yeah. And surprisingly, about three weeks later, I got an invitation to come to the Olympic training camp. And I was surprised. I didn't expect that. And I showed up. So this is June now. Hadn't been on the water. I did, you know, look a little clunky. The coaches made fun of me, but I quickly got my stroke back. And I started, you know, I was at the bottom of the pack, whereas before I'd been at the top of the pack, but they had been racing for, you know, two and a half, three months. And I, at that point, I wound up being what's called in rowing, how they choose the better rower is they do a test called a seat race where they take two boats, race them together. The boats are pulled together and two people in the same, usually in the same seat switch and they race again and they can tell who moves different boats. Well, I was doing that day in, day out that summer. And it was by August, I was vying for the Olympic eight and I, I made the Olympic eight and was mm-hmm. able to go to Seoul, Korea in 1988. And I have to say, one of the most magical experiences of my life was walking into that Olympic stadium during the opening ceremonies when they called our country and walking in with my Team USA. So I belong and feeling the roar of the chest, the roar of the crowd hit my chest because it was like a physical, it was so loud. And I I really did have a sense of I belong to Team USA. I belong to the world because everybody was watching. You know, that's how it felt to me. It was so magical. Mm. So, I mean, I mean, what a great story of, resilience of being able to come back of finding your way from a really tough place now not you know i mean most of us bobby it won't look like that but it can <laughs> you know it really did inspire me to think about okay what are the things that i can do and i think you really i want you to summarize it too cuz i think it's pretty because i want to go back to the bagger vans reference if it's okay if, if i share this next piece cuz i well, oh Okay. Oh, I'm getting a look. She's I'm jump- taking it away. She's jumping ahead. Well, I, I thought we would just summarize the three, but we could go through all the stories of the three too. How about we just do that? I'm not going to jump in here. Okay, Chris Marie, go ahead. Well, I, I did want to, because that's all my story. And Washington rowing, I rode for six years. And it the good, bad, the ugly, and the beautiful of my experience really laid the foundation for the rest of my life, both mm-hmm. personally and professionally. And I, that's my story, but I wanted to give you listeners, like I gave the rowers tools to what what can you do in your world now, whether it's at work, in sport, in whatever you're working with. And the first key, I'm going to give you three things. The first is create connection. And there's social connection, like, you know, 
saying hello to people. And that's important to actually, when somebody once told me, act like no matter where you are, act like the host, which means go up, introduce yourself and ask about the other person. And a, a simple version of this, when I had to answer the phone growing up, I, or the door, I had to say, Colonel Campbell's quarters, Chrissy speaking, you know, how can I help you? But that was a way of me announcing, being assertive and inviting. And a lot of times, and it, and it depends on what area, but a lot of times people just don't say anything. And so the poor new person is like, uh, do I belong? How do I connect? So that's a simple piece. Now there's, we create deeper connections, usually through trying times when we're going through something tough. And often, just like I was in my rowing experience, I'm feeling all the shame and guilt, but I don't want anybody to know it. So I'm like pretending that that doesn't exist. But emotions are just energy in the body and they have a beginning, a middle and an end. And it's important to allow that just like when I was, that's what Mary, when she said, what's going on, I was able to cry and sob and it moved that energy through my body. And I was able to take in the information about the book. But if we don't do that, if we don't let ourselves feel, it's like we're driving through this tunnel and we just stop in the middle. And you know, in the middle of a tunnel, it's dark. You can't see anything. You need to actually keep going, keep feeling so that you can get to the end of the tunnel and see that light and clarity. And I think, uh, and this is Susan, something you had said, you know, I think it's the connection with another human being because we're social beings and we take comfort in having our feelings with another person. A lot of times we like to cry alone, but I think it's that connection that really helps. I, I, I agree. I think I was saying, you know, a lot of times people who have know me and know my love of Haven and the work there know, you know, sometimes people think of the individual work that people do there is somewhat cathartic. But the whole point is, is, is why it's not cathartic is because the whole point of it isn't that piece of work. It's how people connect. But and I do, do, do think that's a really vital, important piece. And, um, you know, I was also thinking about this idea that with that connection, you know, so I was thinking of even clients I work with now in the business world. And so often when I'm talking with a leader, they're talking about something, a story or something that happened, but they don't share the impact it had mm -hmm. on them. And when you don't share the impact something has on you, even if you're telling a, a story that may be helpful for someone to understand the right, wrong of something, if you don't add your own impact. You're not adding that connection, connection piece. And that really does make all the difference between just deciding the right, wrong thing to do and the actual human element thing to do in terms of understanding the impact. I think we, I love that you're saying that. It's like when you're giving somebody feedback, it can seem like, well, you're doing all this and that's bad. <laughs> that's one yeah. versus when you do this, the impact over here is I don't feel heard. I don't feel seen. And then there's a huge, like there's an, oh, I'm not bad, but I'm having an impact on this person that I care about. So that impact part is very important. Yeah. So the takeaway is when you're struggling, the last thing you want to do is reach out, but that's exactly what you need to do, I believe, in order to allow yourself to continue through the tunnel, create the connection and feel and get the clarity at the end of that tunnel. Because, I mean, I think the story you shared about Mary, your mm -hmm. PT person, you know, she was just there and asked a question that gave you the chance. She didn't know how to fix it. Like, I, I yeah. know a lot of people also are kind of like, oh, the last thing I want to do is, to, I know they're upset. <laughs> I don't want like, to talk. I don't know what to they say. They have to fix it. Yeah. And it's like, most of us don't need to be fixed. We just need someone to hold the space to get through that tunnel and be with us. Yeah. And then she just said, this might help. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, you don't have to, you don't have to have the answer. It's true. So, 
yeah, they'll the other person will figure out their clarity if they have enough space and connection to go through that process. Mm -hmm. So that's number one. And that builds, it deepens the bonds of belonging and connection when somebody can be that real themselves. The second uh, point is interrupt stress with joy breaks. And what you may not know is our brain has a natural negativity bias. It has no circuitry for the good. (laughs) It scans for danger, what's not working, and what are the problems? Who's going to get me? What's not done? And what is often happening too for business people, you're trying to squeeze a lot in, you're multitasking, you're eating while Zooming or shopping online, and your brain doesn't like that one thing at a time. Because when you are doing that, you're creating cortisol, adrenaline, and norepinephrine, which are stress chemicals, and they're really bad for the brain. And what starts to happen is your brain thinks that's normal. So you get addicted to that adrenaline or the cortisol, adrenaline, norepinephrine state. And that doesn't allow your body to go into rest and digest. And that rest and digest is where we repair, the inflammation goes down, we feel better laughing. And so I really, and I'm working on this really to this day, is interrupting my go, 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 go. Oh, aren't I amazing? Because adrenaline can feel so good with breaks. And it is, they can be simple, like put on a song and dance. Three minutes, that's all you need. And it will totally change your brain chemistry. Or focus on five gratitudes. And it takes a leap because that's the last thing you're focused on. You're in this other brain state. But five things that you're grateful for or five things that are working. Another thing you could do is just take a short walk and just notice the sounds, the smells, what you're seeing, the colors, and feel your feet. Feel anything lower. So come back down into your body. If you're sitting, feel your seat and your feet. All those things do are, what they do is they bring you present And that starts to change your brain chemistry back into dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin. And that's all those feel-good chemicals. And your IQ goes up. When you're stressed in that adrenaline addiction, your IQ drops 10 to 15 points. So you want to bring that back up. But you need to slow down to settle down. Hard thing sometimes, but yeah. very important. Go it, to a dog bar, watch the dogs. Oh, that's so well. true. The good news is the more you do this, you'll rewire this. It'll get easier and easier, but I'm not lying. It's tough to actually make that switch, but it's going to really help you in the long run. Okay. So now third one. Three. Yes. Now this one is feel the flow. So remember when I was telling you my senior year, my shoulder was up to my ears and I was you know, desperate to win. And I really felt like, oh my gosh, if I don't do this ergometer test well, if I don't win this race, if I don't please the coach, you know, I'm nothing. My worth was completely tied up to my performance. And it was, I had that big critic bully in my head. And this is the quote that Susan wanted to give earlier, but it's another- I wanted to give, but I- Because it comes from the movie, but it's okay. Go ahead, Chris Marie. No, I don't have to slay that dragon. Oh, oh, she scooped well. me. I didn't do it well. I did try to scoop you, but. So the quote is this again, Bagger Vans talking to Matt Damon's character, the golfer, and he's, he's doing horribly. And he's, he says, you know what? You cannot see that flag, meaning the T flag, as some dragon that you have to slay. You got to look at it with soft eyes. And then he goes on and he's talking about the, the swing and he's got, he says, you've got to feel it with your hands. Don't think about it. Feel it. Your, your hands are smarter than your head will ever be. 
because your head isn't, that's the quote, the head is in the fight, fight. Oh my God, I got to do the best I can. But the body is in more that field, that flow. And this is, uh, this comes up again. I work on this all the time of how can I look at even my day with soft eyes, a project with soft eyes? Well, even I will say, even this talk, like when Chris Marie's prepping for a talk, we go through it a lot. <laughs> Let's just be clear. Usually day, you know, and 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 it's kind of like a play when you're memorizing. Yeah. And I know, you know, same thing. I watch you do this and it's, you know, and but then I've seen you in a play, just relax and become relational with the people you're working with. And it's lovely. In this time, when I saw you speak, because speaking's different, you're up there on the stage by yourself, and you could definitely be thinking, I am planning to slay this talk. <laughs> <laughs> and if anyone does anything out in the audience that throws her off, I think in, in the past, you would have just gone right on, plowed right on through that. Mm -hmm. And I watched you up on the stage this time, responding even to things that were going on, not on script, which yeah. I was like, because normally I can kind of mouth her talk every time <laughs> she gets up there. But I, she was actually in the flow and it was really kind of cool to see because I think you did get out of your head. I did. And, and into that moment. Right. And that's because I had visualized how I wanted to feel in mm -hmm. that. And that's, that's the takeaways. And when I was doing all that seat racing, those are those tests, I had to, uh, I had to think about it differently not as a dragon I had to slay, but something I was going to do. And, and actually a, a client who is also a rower in the master's program, she said, I had to change my association with seat racing. I like seat racing. Seat racing is fun. This is what rowing's about. And that's really, without naming it, that that's what I was doing. Because I'm like, okay, I don't know what the results are going to be but this you know, is what I'm doing. I think that's so cool. I try to do that with marketing for our business. I haven't <laughs> quite gotten there. Like this is what, this is what it's about. Marketing, doing it, but I'm working on it. I'm taking it like seat racing. You know? <laughs> and I have to say when I was seat racing for the Olympic eight, one of the things I went out one morning, so I'd been doing it, doing it, doing it. And we did this one piece and the first piece, our boat won by a little bit. We, we pulled the boats together. I switched with the other two seat. We lined up, we warmed up and lined up for the next start. And I remember taking off and I, I, well, before I took off, I started to get a little bit anxious and I thought, I'm calm, I'm capable. How can I relax just 10%? So those are questions you can say to yourself, like, and that, like just 10% to take that edge off that mm -hmm. over trying thing. And we took off and the boat started to go and it just started to feel easy, which is not a word you normally associate with rowing. <laughs> so I was like the flow and our boat just started to surge ahead. And in the end, we won with open water. And I believe that was, I was in the zone, that thing, that sport thing they talk about in the flow. And I think it was because I was I'd focused, but I was relaxed enough mm. that I could let, and I believe something greater through me to, to flow through me. I do think there, there are times when those moments happen. Sometimes it's in sports. Sports are pretty cool when it, you know, it happens in a, in a game and, or uh, in that situation, but it also happens in work sometimes yeah. where something just becomes easy. That's usually hard. I know sometimes when I'm coaching someone, it's like I just all of a sudden the time is gone and I'm just in what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Or and it is a really beautiful space to be in. But you do have to focus and let go. Yeah, and that's tricky. the the tricky part. And you have to have enough experience those ten thousand hours that you have enough you know knowledge of whatever you're doing or you know practical 
experience that, that focus and then the relaxing. Mm -hmm. So those are my three points is create the connection, actively create the connection, whether that's a social connection or that deeper connection, reach out when you're struggling, or if you notice somebody else, reach out to them. Interrupt your stress with joy breaks. I know it seems tough, but put on that song and dance or, you know, all those other pieces I talked about. And the last one is feel the flow. Look at it with soft eyes. Whatever you're doing, it's not a dragon you're going to slay. Because if you're focused on that, it's at least for me, I am very brittle and critical and it's no fun. Mm -hmm. And if I can feel the flow, relax that 10%, things start to open up and I just have a better time doing what I'm doing. That's why we got a cup of tea before we recorded this podcast. So there's a gentler gentler way to go about it. And you know what I, I... really appreciate it about this talk is one, I think hopefully the people there in the audience, they listen to it. And I think it was cool that you were kind of giving that speech to your young self. And I also think it applies so much to life. Like I was really struck when you, you shared, you know, so much of what you took away from rowing wasn't about the wins and the losses. Yeah, it really wasn't. It was about how I experienced it. And I really, in hindsight, boy, I could have been so much kinder and gentler to myself by connecting, by interrupting the stress, by feeling the flow versus over trying, working hard and being critical. And I I coach people on that all the time now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So hopefully you got some insights out of this and you, you know, it was fun to talk to you about it, Chris Marie, and it was wonderful to watch you deliver that speech to those rowers and your Yeah, my little, my Chris Campbell. And if you'd like me to speak at your organization, I'd be happy to do so (laughs) because it was really fun. All right. Take care. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Susan here. As a coach, a lot of my time is spent helping clients speak up in a direct and honest way in their relationships at home and at work. Chris Marie and I decided to create a speak up kit to help you do that for yourself. It's the best of our best work that we've gathered to help you. To learn more, go to thriveinc.com forward slash speak up. That's www.thriveinc.com forward slash S-P-E-A-K-U-P.